Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapist. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast that talks about things that therapists do, things that come into our offices, things that we should be aware about, and we are coming to a topic that we haven't visited here for a couple of years, and we are joined by one of our former therapy reimagined speakers, Beck G. Cohen, director of LGBT programming at Visions, and we're just so glad to have you. Good people. Thanks for joining us. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I'm super grateful to be here. We're so excited to have you. It's so good to see you again. And uh, I had a wonderful consultation with you recently. So I just am excited to share this conversation with our audience. Such a good resource, everyone. So anyway, I'll stop gushing. The first question we ask everyone is, who are you and what are you putting out into the world? Which is like the deepest question you could ask, you know, <laughs> right from the start. Um, who am I? <laughs> uh, what am I putting out to the world? Hope for my community, the trans community to get the, the things that they need, you know, from therapists to, to be heard, to be seen, to be valued. And it started by trying to give a voice to myself and, and now, you know, to help teenagers, to help families. We normally start a lot of our episodes asking for learning purposes. What do therapists get wrong in working with trans clients? And we, we say this in a way of helping us catch up to where the world is today and responding to the clients in our offices. And a lot of things end up being outdated. And especially for those of us who were educated a while ago, things have changed since maybe we have had some basic learning steps. So what do therapists normally get wrong or what are some old habits that you see? The worst thing that we could do is, is this is the way we've always done it, right? This is how it's always been. And that's what I love about the modern therapists, like podcasts and the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the essence of the modern therapist is we're tired of this, right? We're tired of doing the way it's yeah. always been done. You know, the foundations of therapy were built, you know, on white cisgender men, you know, and, mm -hmm. and we're not, that's not who we are. That's not who we serve. And um, so I think what we, what therapists get wrong is, is just stopping learning not being open to new ideas, I think. And I mean, I can go, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I could go down the line of like, 
okay, great. Like use the right pronouns. Okay. So like everyone should be doing that by now. Right. Like that's, that's like 10 years ago. (laughs) I don't mean to sound snarky in that way because that is, that is something that is like a huge like thing to do. Right. But don't always look at like a person by their pronouns either. Right. Like don't, it's, it's like, we're, we're missing out on like the people in front of us and we're either overly looking at the trans piece or we're like minimizing it. So it's like, it's finding that balance. So sometimes I run into therapists who like everything that has to do with them is about them being trans. Right. And it's Mm. like, Mm -hmm. no, like we also have depression and anxiety and have relationship issues. And we have, you know, all the struggles that, that all of humanity goes through. And, and then also there's the other side of the kind of pendulum that says, well, I work with all people and them being trans doesn't matter, you know? Mm. And it's like, okay, but you're not understanding that some of these things that are struggles that they're having absolutely have to do with their gender identity and absolutely have to do with their transition or, you know, who they are in the world. So I run into therapists that are like kind of one or the other. Right. And so like my job and what I like to do and the conversations that I like to have is like, let's bring us into like kind of the centered and talk about how we can, yeah, invest our time into their gender and understand it and understand, but not have to learn about gender and sexuality from them, but learn about their gender and sexuality, their personal gender and sexuality from them. Understanding trans identity, a 101, that is a therapist's job, right? To learn outside of their client, the nuances of gender, the nuances of of what's happening in their lives, we do learn from our clients going in with curiosity and conversation and humility is really important. I see a lot of therapists run away from working with trans people because they just don't know. While I believe in referring out, um, there's not enough like clinicians out there that are working with trans people. I, I always like to say as part of my story is saying that the woman that saved my life when I came out to her was a therapist who was really versed in trauma and really versed in uh, understanding the LGBT community, but she was not part of that community and she saved my life. And so like, you know, so I think that what therapists are getting wrong, just not, not doing their own work. And I also like, like to challenge therapists to do their own work around their gender and sexuality, because if we're not doing that work, then how are we supposed to even understand some of the things that we struggle with, with masculinity, with femininity? And I mean, trans people struggle with that stuff as well. Non-binary people struggle with that as well. I I hate to say that you're getting it wrong, but what can you do better? (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) Kurt. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I told you I was going to come from a place of positivity today. I'm going, going into 2022 with a little positive skepticism. (laughs) (laughs) So you're, you started talking about this and I want to get a little bit more specific with one of the things that you had talked about, you know, kind of all clinicians need to be better for trans clients because trans clients are going to show up in our practice at some point, most likely. And so I think to me, when you're talking about therapists not doing their own work on gender, let's let's start with that one. I think that society doesn't necessarily 
ask that of us. You know, there's there's a binary, you know, there's pink and blue, there's these things that I think society really puts on us. And I think this idea of really exploring our own gender identity and sexuality and all those things, especially I'm 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 old, you know. So <laughs> You know, when I grew up, it was pink and blue, you know, and and all of that. And so I think it's something where, to me, what do you mean when you're talking about that therapists need to work on their own gender and those issues? I love that question because I think uh, you're right. Like, right. It's a privilege to Mm -hmm. not have to think about gender. Absolutely. Right. So when you're walking in the world and you don't have to think about it, it's, you know, that's a privilege that you have. Um, I think we actually think about it more than we think we do. <laughs> and okay. um, I think it's in our face constantly. And I, but, but I also do think like once you're aware of it, right. I think there's an old parable about the goldfish, right. In the water mm-hmm. and they go, you know, the goldfish swims up and says, Hey y'all, how's the water? And they're like, what's water? <laughs> you know, like they don't know that they're, you don't know you're in it until you know that you're in it. Right. Yes. I don't know. I, I don't know how that parable goes, but something like that. Um <laughs> Y'all can look it up, um, but sure. like it, I'm not aware until I'm aware is basically what it is. And, and so, so that's why I also like give a lot of leeway to a lot of therapists and people that I work with um, where I'm not like, you should know this because sometimes you just have no awareness, but once you know, then it's your job to kind of start working on it. So like I had a, a therapist come up to me a year after I did a talk and he was like, you know, you really messed me up. And I was like, oh, great. You know, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, now everywhere I go, I see male and female signs. Mm-hmm. You know, I see male, female, girls, boys, you know, pink and blue. Like it would just, it, I was uh, unaware. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, great. Now, you know how I live and many other people live every single day. But we talk about like women's issues and men's issues a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. And and sometimes even then we're, we're, we're not even actually aware that that actually affects us. Right. So when I'm working with like a cisgender man, so uh, it, for those, you know, when I say cisgender, it's someone who is assigned, let's say male at birth and, and identifies their gender identity as male. Cis means to be on the same side of. So um, most people are cisgender. But when I talk to cisgender men, I ask them about masculinity and being a man. And what is that like for you? And if we actually start having the conversation and dialogue about what it is to be a man in the world, you're going to get a whole lot of different conversations, right? You're going to have a different opinions, different, you know, boxes, you know, men are put in a specific box to attain, you know, like I have to be this way or that way. Right. Um, Same thing with women. And so that's the work that I I ask of, of therapists to do is like, like, let's, let's, what is, what does femininity mean to you? What does being a woman mean to you in the world? What is, how has that affected you growing up? What did you learn about? You know, you just said like, you know, I'm old and I grew up with pink and blue, right? Sure. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but if you were older, even older and grew up in the, you know, 1700s, you know, 1800s, you know, pink and blue were different. Pink was more masculine. Blue was more feminine. Oh, interesting. Men wore, men wore wigs and heels and makeup, and that was a sign of class, right? And so, um, and the ideas of like 
boys clothes and girls clothes from children really came from a marketing ploy where people were having less children. Because if you actually look at like pictures of like Franklin Roosevelt, they were wearing all white, all kids wore white and dresses until they were a certain age. Right. So it was a money saver (laughs) for families who had giant families of 16 kids. Now, you know, in the early 1900s, you know, the history of it is that people were having less kids. And so then they started being like, oh, girls clothes, boys clothes, you know? So if we start to learn the history of that and we start to learn that like clothing doesn't have a gender, makeup doesn't have a gender. And we start to learn how I was raised to see what femininity looks like and what masculinity looks like, because in a lot of different cultures too, it looks differently. So that's the work if I look internally. And then if I can look internally and at myself, um, it's just like, you know, every therapist should have a therapist, right? Yes. Is that if I start looking, <laughs> note that everyone, you can start to empathize with how difficult these things might be for a client that is in, is, who is questioning their gender or transitioning. And you may not know someone is trans when they come in your office and you build a rapport with them and you build a therapeutic alliance and then they come out to you right? And they feel that they trust you, you know, that is your job to continue to work with them. And you can work with them as long as you, you know, maybe you need to seek supervision or whatever. But I think therapists can really do a lot of work on themselves around gender, um, even if they, they're not trans, right? I think it's, it's funny because we only talk about like sexuality and gender when it comes to the LGBT community. We're actually like sexuality and gender should be talked about across the board for everyone. I think we would we'd serve us as, as therapists and as the world as a whole. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. When we sent over the what should we talk about questionnaire to you? You dropped in this term trans resilience. Can you tell us what that is and how that plays out with our clients? Sometimes we focus in on the pain of transition a lot, right? As therapists, we we concentrate on anxiety and depression, all the hard things, right? Yeah. Why do people go to therapy? Do people go to therapy when they're super happy? You know, but but at the same time, I think when I when I talk about trans resilience and I talk about how we can celebrate um, identity in 
the therapeutic space. I think this is a really important piece to helping our clients celebrate themselves and empowering themselves. And trans resilience to me means that, you know, we walk through the world and we walk through all of this stuff that we do and we, we, you know, we get misgendered and we walk through all the messages that say we shouldn't be here, but we still show up every day. And we still are present in our lives or we try to be, and we still show up to therapy and we still show up and we, and and I, I keep saying show up because it's sometimes it's so hard to show up. And so to foster that and to like empower my clients who are trans is like really like celebrating them and celebrating who they are and, and walking in their truth and walking in their authenticity. A lot of times people will say, oh, you're so brave for doing Mm. this. Oh, I don't, thank you. Right. Like I I think, you know, (laughs) like I thank you. Right. And I know where that comes from. And I also know that like I came out because it was like an act of survival. Like I run out of a burning building. (laughs) Like I was running out of a burning building. Is that brave? No, that's like, I'm trying to survive. Yeah. You know, I think bravery is really like going back in and getting people and pulling them out. Right. Bravery is like, you know, showing up again every day and, and helping others and all those things. So, I mean, I think therapists are brave. Right. But for me, it was an act of survival. And so when I talk about resilience is, is really talking to my clients about like, you know, you show up every day, you know, as hard as it is, you keep showing up. And with suicidality and suicide rates so high in the trans community, you know, for those who are able to survive, I think it's, I think it's really important. And I think it's also really important to like celebrate and like enjoy being trans, you know, like, I mean, I'm constantly like asking them, you know, we're talking about dysphoria all the time. And I'm like, where's your euphoria? You know, when'd you feel good this week? (laughs) When did someone like make you feel like, you know, when did you like go put that dress on or, or, or get gendered correctly or like, like hold on to those moments too, because that feels good. When did you look in the mirror and go like, damn, I look good today. You know, like I feel good in my body. Uh, I think therapists, you know, sometimes will so hyper-focus on like, oh, you, you have to hate yourself to be trans. (laughs) It's like, Mm. you actually don't. Yeah, you actually don't like that's that's a that's a false narrative that has been given to you by the DSM. <laughs> yeah, I think I want to actually like. There's so many things I want to go into here, but I think one of the the pieces that feels really compelling to me is this idea of this notion, and and you're calling it gender dysphoria and then gender euphoria. We've heard that as well before, but I, I think there's this notion of hating yourself feels like it is already coming from a cis place, a cisgender place, that the self is defined by whatever gender you were assigned at birth. And so talk a little bit more about your feelings about the DSM, because you, you started to go there. <laughs> I went there. And, and yeah. To me, uh, I, I just am curious about how you look at it, because I think most of what we do is based on what society deems normal. And it's so culturally bound. I loved when you were talking earlier about how gender has been perceived through the years, because I think we feel like, well, this is just what it is. And it's like, well, no, actually, it's completely culturally defined if we really look at it. But 
Anyway, it's early. I'm going all over the place. So let me get to the question. How do you think the DSM harms our efforts toward treatment? Because it seems like it's framed improperly. Yeah. Well, so if I look at like, so again, this is just my opinion. <laughs> this is not the opinion of all trans therapists. We're looking at two things here, right? The, the, the DSM in and of itself helps people like having dysphoria as like a, as a diagnosis can help us get hormones and all those things, which is like, you know, if you're not in a, in a informed state, right? Like a, you can at least go to the doctor and get your medical needs met. So sure. Dysphoria, and you actually actually said it in what you what you were just talking about is that dysphoria is actually not mine. If I actually look at myself, like I am not dysphoric around my gender. Everyone else is dysphoric around my gender, right? <laughs> like, so it, the gender dysphoria is actually internalized. Mm. And if I look at like you know gender dysphoria from the DSM, it actually says the stressors from the outside in. Right. And so it's like, so am I really dysphoric? Am I, am I internalizing the gender dysphoria that people have placed on my gender, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it can be a hard concept to talk to teens about, to talk to even adults about, because they, they, like, it gets so set on like, no, I'm dysphoric and I'm, I have dysphoria. And I too, you know, I struggle with that, but the more I, I have this conversation, the more I even dive internally, it's like, actually, I'm just internalizing that dysphoria. And so then I feel depressed and anxious because I can't get a job because I, I'm seen in the world as a freak. I'm, you know, all the things, right. I'm told that I shouldn't, you know, play sports um, or legislation against me says I can't play sports sports, things like that. Right. So I'm internalizing everyone else's stuff. Like when I talk about dysphoria, it's like, well, what, what are you actually dysphoric about? Right. Like yeah. what are, what's, what are you actually dysphoric about? Well, I want to change my body. Well, a lot of people want to change their body and they're not diagnosed with gender dysphoria. Like you can go to a plastic surgeon and get whatever you want done, but you're not diagnosed with dysphoria or any diagnosis. Really. I'm not depressed because I'm trans, I'm, I, I can also just be depressed. <laughs> you know, I can have yeah. depression. If you actually look at the DSM dysphoria in children and adolescents, right? We're already talking about boys and girls toys. There's already like this, like thing around, like, you know, gendered toys. And like, they're, they're already like these societal cultural stereotypes that are put into the DSM. And so it's like, Children should be allowed to play with gender and play. Everyone should be allowed to play with gender and, and be who they are. It shouldn't be like a diagnosis. What we see here is that we, we also see, I talk to a lot of parents and they say, well, my kid wasn't playing with dolls when they were younger. So there's no way that they could be a girl. Right. Mm. <laughs> right. And so it, it attaches again, like, these gender roles, these, you know, stereotypes onto a child. And then it's like, you know, do I have to like dresses and all these things in order to be a girl? Or do I have to play with trucks to be a boy? It's like, well, no, not necessarily. Right. So yeah. it just, I think we get so honed in on like the diagnosis that we forget the person. 
And I think that happens a lot in the DSM. We're just so hyper-focused and in order to get insurance to cover it or whatever, it's like yeah. we're, we're like, okay, do you, do you check all the boxes? And if you don't, right, then maybe you're not. And so what I've run into with a lot of like even young people, I mean, it's amazing what you can find out there on the internet. Young people know exactly what <laughs> they need to come in with to share what they need, you know, and, and people know like, so if I'm not depressed around my gender, so then I have to go into a therapist and I have to lie to mm. get hormones. Right. And I have to say, well, I'm depressed, but I'm not depressed and not, I'm not too depressed. Because if I'm too depressed, then you're not going to give me my hormones. If you're too, if I'm too anxious or if I'm feeling, you know, I'm having suicidal ideations, then, you know, maybe I need medication. I don't need hormones. Right. So I'm going to lie to you about actually like how bad I'm feeling or how good I'm feeling because I need to hit that middle ground. And so you're already starting off the therapeutic relationship in a lie. Yeah. How do you build? something from there. So if I take myself out of a gatekeeping role, right? If I tell a client, like, I'm not here to tell you who you, you know, who you are, right? I'm not here to tell you who you are. I'm here to like walk you, walk through, you know, cause I believe in therapy. Don't get me yeah. wrong. Like I believe in the power of therapy. I, I don't believe in it to, to gatekeep for certain things for telling someone who they are. Right. But I definitely believe in walking through with someone um, through the changes and shifts that are going to happen through their transition, that's a big deal. But if you're starting off like with a client just having to lie to you because they just want a letter from you, it's like, well, that's, that's not okay. You know, that's, it's that not therapy for that person. It's not therapy. It's, it's not at all. And um, it's actually super harmful. And I've seen it harm a lot of people in that way. Speaking of letters and organizations that gatekeep, uh, I know that one of the resources out there that people point to in working with trans clients, and especially maybe the first times that they're working with trans clients, is WPATH. And there's some guidelines there that I understand that you're part of some some groups working on some making some changes over there, too. Yeah. So there's some work groups that are changing some of the WPATH guidelines for teens. And so there's like working groups of actual trans identified providers, which, you know, WPATH has over the years been primarily cisgender people kind of, again, implementing certain guidelines, which in effect have been helpful, you know, over the years. But I think as we just as like we get to understand gender and as it works in the world, right? We have to shift and move things. And, and, and just as it's been over the years, you have these really great, amazing people who are allies and who are trying their best. And it's like, you also have to now have people at the table who are actually, you know, part of this community. And now that there are more providers, more doctors um, that are trans identified, nurses, therapists, you know, they're actually bringing more of us on into the conversation. And so, you know, I told Kurt before this, I don't want to, you know, I, I had some like really strong, you know, like opinions, but now like, it's like, okay, well, Yes, of course. Right. Like, not, I mean, all this, any kind of legislation, any kind of like licensure stuff, like trans people were never at the table. So now that we are kind of stepping up into these spaces, I think we're going to start to see some great changes happening, hopefully, 
you know, <laughs> fingers crossed, some changes in how care is given to trans clients across the board medically, because, you know, WPATH is like mental health, medical, you know, treatment, all of these things. And, and people do go to it. And it's almost like, you know, well, this is, and, and it's taken, I think people who are like, well, this is not, this isn't still isn't right. Right. This still isn't right. There still needs to be some changes happening. And so bringing in trans people with experience, um, I think is really, really important and valuable. So still go to WPATH, still go to, you know, Mm. get those guidelines that should be like kind of foundational. And if it doesn't feel right, it probably isn't, you know, like if it doesn't, it's like, this feels a little gatekeepy, right? This sounds a little bit like, you know, like these kind of hard lines, like, oh, you have to, you know, you know, it used to be like, you have to live as you know, the opposite gender for a year, you know, um, in order to get hormones. And you're just like, what, what is that? Uh, you know, what is that yeah. about? Like those kind of guidelines. Now we've kind of stepped away from it, but I will still hear that. I will still hear therapists using those old antiquated uh, kind of markers of like being trans, <laughs> like, you know, because there's not one way to be trans. There's not one way to like walk in the world, right? Not all trans people want surgery. Not all trans people want hormones you know, that's that not all people want to live like, like as like the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we all lie somewhere, somewhere in the middle, some of us. So not only does therapy notes combine billing, scheduling notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform. They're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, therapy notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. So stepping out a little bit, because I think there's some nuance to what you're talking about, but I, I do know that there are some folks that this may be one of the first stepping stones for them learning about how to work with trans clients. And so maybe just a, a very brief because I think people need full-on training and we'll definitely give you a chance to talk about the trainings that you do because I think that would be a really good start and there's you know lots of great resources for letters and all the things but if someone is a general therapist and they they don't span, specialize in trans clients and and they have a trans client walk into their office first off get supervision get training all that stuff but is there anything because you know you're not going to necessarily know till you know and so what are some advice that you have for, for, for clinicians whose clients who they've been working with for quite some time come out? I still believe in that therapeutic alliance is the number one thing for any relationship. If you do, so there's, there's two different, there's two different, like, I think, uh, scenarios here. There's the one where the trans client just comes in right from first time to like one that you've been working with for a long time. So we'll start with the long time one, um, that you start like having this conversation. And, and I think that there's a really valuable tool called vulnerability that therapists can use in the, the space where they say, I haven't had a a whole lot of experience working with trans clients before or around gender. Um, you know, I, you know, and thanking them for like coming out, you know, to you, Mm -hmm. right. Because ultimately you have built that trust because people don't just like come in and be like, I'm trans, you know, like off like first, (laughs) I mean, maybe, 
That's a lie. I, I did that, but I knew that she had worked with trans clients before. So, um, but I just needed to say it out loud, but I think like, it's pretty rare. Um, mm, I think mm-hmm. people like want to like feel it out a little bit. Right. And kind of see how they're, how you're going to respond. And, and so obviously you've become that trusted person. So even thanking them, <laughs> you know, in some yeah. way, and then, and then doing the work around it and kind of saying like, you know, I, I, I don't have a whole lot of experience, but I'm, I'm so willing to, to learn and I'll learn outside of here and I will ask questions. And if you don't want to answer them, like I will find out other ways, you know, and just sharing like your process. I think it's a big, I, I think if I were a client and someone said that to me as a trans person, I would feel more connected um, to my therapist than someone just assuming that they knew everything and then being like, <laughs> you actually don't know. Right. Or walking into a therapy room for the first time and someone has like a rainbow flag up and has no idea how to work in the LGBT space. Right. Because they got a a rainbow sticker that they said that they should have on their wall to show that they work with diverse clients. You know, (laughs) like, I mean, like, you know, we see that a lot. And I think Mm -hmm. that that is that can be dangerous because like I let my walls down because I'm looking for safety. So I may let my walls down and then, then find out like, Oh, you actually have never worked with a trans client before and you actually have no training. And so, so if you like were a therapist and you had a client just walk in the door and say that they were trans, you know, that's a conversation that either you're going to have to have with a supervisor. Um, and, and also again, being honest from the start and saying, I've never worked with trans clients before, but I have some training and I, you know, and I'll, you know, seek that out. And I think a lot of us, for those of us who are trans seek out therapists, like I'm going to, I don't automatically seek out trans therapists, like trans identified Mm -hmm. therapists, probably because I know all of them personally, um, in some way, (laughs) shape or form. So it it makes it tough. Um, and (laughs) I'm in that space right now. Um, but I'm looking for, you know, like I will, you know, I will ask questions of like, have you worked with trans clients before? Are you part of the LGBT community? If they just choose to disclose or not, um, they don't necessarily have to be part of that. But I, I want to know what kind of, you know, if they've ever worked with a, with a trans um, client before. But that's me. But I also ask if they've ever worked with clinicians as well, because that's a whole nother dynamic. Yeah, that's a whole you other know? dynamic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We we are getting short on time, so I I, I yes. want to I want to just comment on something and get a couple more thoughts from you. I think there's this element of you may have a client come in either in the process with you, either come out for the first time or kind of identify that for themselves for the first time. I feel like there's so much to talk about there, and then there are also clients who are trans, and that's not what they're issue is. And I think there's so there's different elements of what we would need to know. When someone comes in and they are trans and the issue isn't about their gender identity, it sounds like this awareness is important and being able to understand the impact that it may have on what's going on. And I think that's that's fairly well in the wheelhouse of the therapist, especially as they are able to get consultation and make sure that they're they're kind of there with them and, and understanding the person in front of them and the, the, the issues they're facing. When someone comes out or is in the process of identifying for themselves their gender identity and and that process, I think that can be very 
confusing for folks, especially with the hard bias against, you know, kind of what we went back, going back to like the gender dysphoria and even just the angst that can be coming through as the, the identification or the understanding, I am trans. And so can you talk a little bit about that process of the kind of understanding, kind of the, the introspection, the, the kind of identifying for the individual, as well as how therapists can support trans clients as they identify and come out and, and potentially even transition? Because that seems like that's very specific to the gender identity, whereas other things are informed. You know, it's, it's gender identity informed. It's other issues, but it's gender identity informed. This is, it's about gender identity. When a specific client is, is coming in specifically around their gender identity, like this is, this is the, the pressing struggle at this point yeah. in time that, that I'm, you know, is, is obviously getting the whole story um, around um, because you know, some people are in relationships, right? Some people are in, you know, I, I mean, I come from obviously a wider lens of like the sociological piece of a, of a person, like all of these things and, and really diving into their fears, right? Diving into, like you said, like kind of their, their, in, because they've already been thinking about it. Like this has been something that has been brewing for a while. Someone just doesn't usually just wake up one day and be like, you know, I'm trans, right? Like, I mean, this is something, and I like to get that backstory. I like to ask people when they first kind of knew something was different, right? Like, you know, it could be a year ago. It could be six months ago. It could be 10 years ago. Right. And when they first maybe even talked about it to someone, you could be the first person they are talking to about it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so let's say, you know, they knew when they were five and now they're 30, that's 25 years of kind of unraveling of like, you know, what, you know, what has been going on for them. Um, I think the first question my therapist asked me when I told her that I was trans, which I, which I, you know, so appreciate. And I go back to, even as a clinician is like, okay, cool. So what do you want to do about that? <laughs> which is, which sounds like, which sounds like it's so her, right. It was like, mm. I was like, what, you know, like, like, what do you know? Because you've obviously been thinking about this. So like, we'll deal with all that, that unraveling of the history and all that stuff later, but like, how can I be present for you now? Like, what is it that you are looking for right now? Like, are you looking to get on hormones? Are you looking to get top surgery, you know, like, or whatever, like for me, it was like, I knew I wanted to get top surgery. I did not know I wanted to go on hormones. That was like, so far, like, that was like a lot for me to think about, but I knew mm -hmm. exactly what I wanted one thing. And she's like, cool, let's start there. Right. We don't have to make it like, I think like we also get overwhelmed with like, what if I say the wrong thing? Right. Mm. Like, what if I, what if I, um, what if I screw this up? And, but it's just like, it's almost like goal setting, like, okay, great. Like, what do you see for yourself? Because a lot of trans people don't even, aren't even, they're so focused on like the history and like the present, like, um, the, the fear and the, the anxiety that, that I couldn't even see myself in the future. So to be able to like be present and then look forward was really empowering. Like, oh, I can do this, right? Like, right? Like, yeah. it scares the shit out of me, but excuse my language. But like, I'm also <laughs> like, but but I can see that I can see that there there might be a future for me here. And so I, you know, kind of kind of 
it's that and that in that respect, that's like a like a celebratory way of thinking. And 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 then we can get dive into the introspection. We can dive into the struggles of of what it is to be trans in the world and all those things. But like if we give it a moment and ask, really just kind of ask, like, what do we want to do here? Like what do what do yeah. we want to do with this information? Do we want to move forward or do we want to focus on like the hows and whys and then giving like, you know, sometimes we give reading, sometimes we give, but most people that come in who are, who are um, talking about their gender, they've already been researching. They've already been like watching YouTube videos. They've already been having this conversation internally. They just need to like get it out and like have a place to like get it out and they may not have any movement. Maybe they just want to talk about it in the room. Maybe they have no idea what they want to do. And it's like, that's great too. But this is a space where you can, we can acknowledge that sometimes it's the only space where I'm using the name and pronouns that they want to use for the first time. Right. Like I've used that space for um, helping people come out to their loved ones. Right. I came out to my best friend in my therapy and with my therapist, (laughs) like she came into town and I'm like, you're going to come to therapy with me. And she allowed that space for me to come out, you know, to the person that I love the most, you know? Um, And so like, those are the things that we can do as therapists. I love that. If people are looking forward to a future with you and your trainings, Where can they find out more about you and follow you? Oh, I was thought this was a proposal, Kurt. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I was like, oh, okay. Um, so you can find me uh, at my website, uh, bgcbridge.com. I offer consultation and, and trainings and things like that on that website. You can always email me. It's beck at bgcbridge.com. Um, I'm always open to offering, you know, help, consultation, you know, networking, uh, you know, if you have a trans client and you just have a couple questions, I'm always glad to, you know, email. But um, if you want more of a, like a sit down, you know, we can talk about that as well. And just one quick question around uh, resources. Are there any ideal resources for clinicians who'd like to do some reading or some, get some basic information that, that would help them at least have a foundation? Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a lot, um, <laughs> but I think um, the my go-tos are Alex Ian Toffee um, has a couple of books on gender trauma, uh, life isn't binary for non-binary uh, folks. Um, they're also a therapist, an amazing therapist um, doing somatic and trauma work in the LGBTQ plus community. So um, you can go to their website um, and then my gender workbook by uh, the fabulous Kate Bornstein is always a good tongue in cheek kind of gender workbook. And again, I suggest therapists get it for themselves and, you know, start filling it out like workbook style, you know, Um, Dara Hoffman Fox also has a gender identity workbook. I love workbooks again, more introspection. Um, I never give out a book that I wouldn't do myself. So, you know, just um, 
get those for yourself and see if they work. And uh, there's a great book for, um, I know there'll be another conversation around families and trans teens and things like that, but um, it's called uh, Two Spirits, One Heart. And it's written by a trans son and his mom and the coming out process in that way. So I gave it to my mom when I came out. So a lot of you might be working with parents of trans teens, a really great resource for them. And we'll include links to all of those in our show notes. You can find those over at mtsgpodcast.com and follow us on our social media. Join our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group. And until next time, I'm Kurt Woodhelm with Katie Renoy and Beck G. Cohen. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code Modern Therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes.